The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. As Goodnight Maryland fans, we are growing around the world each and every week, and we do have some shout-outs. Actually, we have quite a few, and if I don't get to all of them today, we'll certainly uh, do them uh, again next week, and we'll add you to the list. So it's Bomb from Palm Springs, California, Jerry from San Francisco, Wanda from Missouri, Rick from San Bernardino, Jane from Valentine, Australia, Dean from Seattle, Washington, Ken from Beijing, China, and Shelly from Parma, Italy, Daisy from Park City, Utah, and Doreen from Maui, Hawaii, Sasha from Birmingham, UK, who is also celebrating a birthday today, and Diesel from New Orleans, and uh, Jenna from Le Mans, France. We'll try to, like I said, get to more of you next week. It's because of you and this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for over 53 years. As you know, we were off last week, and now we are back live. We were getting a lot of uh, emails uh, saying, are you guys live? Are you guys live? And yes, we are live this week, recapping uh, the last several shows, especially the April 8th show of Dr. Cyril Weck and his explosive interview in some ways because now we must recalibrate, readjust some of our other conclusions. And that's why we're doing a show like this. It, it is so easy to jump on, onto a theory before you really know if it's true or not. And sometimes you even think it's true. You have enough evidence to think it's true. And then something else comes into the mix. And I just want to reiterate, that's why so many of the TV programs that have aired so far do not have the story right. They interview maybe one person and maybe they have read a book or they're following a biography that hasn't really been checked out as credible. And uh, the challenge is, is they don't double check the source and then it's following a theory and it's presented as fact. And that's, that's the, the challenge and the opportunity in doing a show like this. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to recap this week's show. You guys have a lot of questions and it really does get complex. Uh, as you know, the forensics are the easiest way for us to rule out certain theories, Because for the most part, it's not subjective. 
science does not lie, right? So in the coming weeks, we'll hopefully have Dr. Michael Baden on with us. As you know, we have a truth conference, uh, the real life investigation of Marilyn Monroe coming up. And Dr. Cyril Weck and Dr. Michael Baden will both be a part of that conference. And the reason why we chose not to just have one but two and have uh, the audience participate and ask questions similar to what happens on this show, except for it's going to be live and you're going to have the visuals and you'll have both of them on the on the show. And even a couple of weeks ago when we had Cyril Weck on, Dr. Weck, it was really challenging because there, we didn't even get to a lot of the questions, not only that the panel still had, but you, the listener, had. So in the real-life investigation, the Truth Conference, we'll have both of these renowned forensic pathologists together talking about the case and why some of these things are scientifically the way they are. It's, you know, if you're a doctor, it's easy to to follow along. If you're not a doctor, it's not always so easy to follow, you know, follow the science. But some of it is also common sense. So uh, here's the thing, though, with the Truth Conference, the real-life investigation of Marilyn Monroe. We had to change the date of the conference because <laughs> just like everything Marilyn, it has become bigger better and brighter but it is still going to be at the Roosevelt Hotel I want you to save the date so mark your calendar get a pen get a pencil it's starting Friday September 23rd 2016 that is Friday September 23rd through the 25th at the Roosevelt Hotel 2016 so mark your calendars you know, also, it is really important to go to the Goodnight Marilyn page, the website, goodnightmarilyn.com, and become a fan and sign up for the updates. We have a lot of uh, exciting things happening, not only for the real-life investigation, but also if you've auditioned for the role of Marilyn and you have been asked to resubmit for the director, you will be hearing from us shortly. So the role of Marilyn will either be picked as an unknown, which is would be wonderful, or it's going to be an accomplished actress. And it really depends on these three things. Your acting, your ability to embody the complexities and the spirit of Marilyn, and obviously your looks. You know, you have to you have to resemble Marilyn. So but the first two I would say for our director at least is probably the two most important. So stay tuned as you'll be hearing from us as the movie gets on the way and so does the real life investigation. Uh, and also, if you have not done so already, go to the Goodnight Marilyn website and sign the petition. I know you've heard me say this time and time again, but I can't stress really how important this is. You know, with Dr. Cyril Weck telling us that the cor- coroner findings should be undetermined or accidental, given, given what we do not know about the case, Right. You know, we're, we're some of us even now. We're still speculating. We're speculating what happened. If you don't know for sure, it's accidental or undetermined. So, um, given that, uh, leading up to the conference and hopefully overturning the coroner findings, please sign the petition and share with your friends. This really does take a village. It's not one person that's you know uh, going to be doing this. It's all of us. And I know you, if you're listening to the show. You really do care about Marilyn and getting to the truth. And that's really the important part of, of, of what this show is about. It's not about an agenda. It's about getting to the truth. So the panel is back live this this week. And, and again, we are committed to the truth. 
We have the complex task of breaking down the conversation, as we have discussed with Dr. Cyril Weck, who has consulted and provided expert witness on the who's who of famous cases, both on the John and Robert Kennedy um, autopsies, Martin Luther King, Elvis Presley, O.J. Simpson, Sharon Tate, John Benet Ramsey, Anna Nicole Smith, among others. He's testified in over a thousand court cases, published over 500 professional papers, and authored and co-authored 44 books. He has personally performed approximately 20,000 autopsies and has consulted an additional 35,000. We also probably need to discuss the ambulance theories and maybe some of the other earlier shows. Given some of the things that Dr. Cyril Weck has discussed now, it, uh, especially because it changes the timeline. And so we'll see how far we get in this week's show. We also want to hear from you. If you have comments and questions, I know a lot of you were emailing me, how, do, how, you know, how can I uh, talk to the panel? How can I uh, have a comment? It's one uh, it's 866-472-5788. That's 472-5788. As you know, this season, season three, we are taking an in-depth look at what's really going on as we dissect the 1982 uh, DA report. There is a lot of information in the DA report about the pathology, and uh, that's what we're going to be discussing today and getting more clarification on the case. The forensics, as you know, is a big part of the report and a big part of this investigation. But before we get into this week's show, I have some special people to thank. Randall Libero, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland. I'd also like to thank Voice America Radio Networks and uh, Joseph, who is filling in for Mike, our engineer today. Jennifer, our social media person, and of course the panel, and you, good night, Maryland fans. Want to thank you so much. Again, if you have a question or a comment, 866-472-5788. And with that, let's get started. Good night, Maryland Radio. With me is the panel. It's Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon: The Life, The Times, and Films of Marilyn Monroe and Immortal Maryland's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz. This season, as you know, we're discussing the 641-page DA report. And this this week, we're going to jump right in and break it down. Dr. Cyril Weck's interview from two weeks ago and the effect on some of the other earlier shows and discussions since it does change the timeline. So with that, Gary, let me start with you. How do you think we should break down this week's show, given all the information Cyril Weck, he has a lot of information. We let him talk, and boy, is he long-winded in a good way, but there's a lot of, lot of information for us to uh, break down. Yeah, it was certainly refreshing to consult with a qualified medical examiner, and I think his takeaway messages are about seven points that we could break down today. All right, and what are those seven points? Well, first, we established a new time of death at about 1.30 a.m. on August 5th with a window beginning as early as 12.30 and ending about 2.30. We also learned of the agonal death process, which was new to me, but this is death as a gradual process in which the heart slows, um, it beats weakly as the victim lingers in a coma, and the blood backs up, causing a congestion of the organs. And some of this information has been misinterpreted from the autopsy report. So we finally heard a qualified um, opinion about that. Moving on, there was 
no evidence to support the intravenous or subcutaneous injection theories. And Nina, you had asked if the drugs could have been administered through a non-oral means like a suppository or a bulb enema, and um, we finally had um, a response to that question as well. I think most pertinent, we finally received the definitive response to the argument about the lack of pill residue, even in the crystallized form. Um, and Dr. Weck also told us that he had never seen a medical examiner's report with the qualifier probable by suicide, and he had an opinion about how to categorize a death when more than one drug is involved in the overdose. And finally, he spoke to us um, in detail about federal and state laws that allow criminal prosecution of physicians who prescribe excessive amounts of drugs that lead to the death of a patient. And he cited Conrad Murray, and uh, we couldn't remember the other person's name, but it was Southern California Dr. Lisa Sang, who was uh, convicted of murder in the overdose of three patients last year. Yeah, and you know, I, I really want to uh, just mention, because it's obviously top of news uh, yesterday, uh, Prince, uh, April 21st, 2016, if you're listening to it on demand, uh, not live, uh, that's the date we're talking about, he passed away. And, you know, at the at the top of the hour, I'm talking about Dr. Silweck and all of the, um, you know, the autopsies that he has done and some of these famous cases, right? And we talked about, you know, Michael Jackson last week and obviously Whitney Houston, you have Heath Ledger, um, and now there is, a, and I want to say rumors because, you know, people, they want to have news, they're, they're trying to get, uh, you know, uh, their ratings, and I understand that, but, you know, we don't have all the facts yet, and the the the, the um, notion that there's something more than the, the flu, okay? The thing that I do like about it is, and I was thinking about this as it relates to the Maryland case um, with Prince passing away and obviously the huge effect that he has had in the culture, you know, all the Facebook uh, posts of, of, of Prince, almost every other one uh, was about him. And you can only imagine if it was Maryland, uh, you know, in 2016, the same type of effect in terms of uh, that ability and, the, and the, the emotion that it creates. But one of the things that they're doing is they're doing a police investigation and they're really going into it um, with not really saying a lot right now. And as we know, back in 1962... Before people even got up in the morning, they were already saying it was a barbiturate um, overdose. And um, that's part of the, the challenge with a case like this. Once it gets into the media, whether it was 1962 or 2016, people start looking at it as it's real. And that's not always the case. And I think that that is the challenge when we start looking at um, Maryland, especially 53 years later, there's been so much misinformation out there about her, people saying stuff. So you can just imagine, you know, with Prince, it's already starting, but at least there's a control and a handle on it because the police are not talking yet. They're really doing the real-life investigation. Um, Unfortunately, with all the media out there, and there's a lot more media than there was back in 1962, you know, things are being put out there as if, uh, you know, there are certain things, uh, you know, that he was doing. And we don't have all the facts yet. And 
that's one of, you know, being in media as long as I have, um, you know, the, the, the opportunity with media is you could reach a lot of people. The challenge is, is that we live in a day and age where it's the quick soundbite and people put things out there as if they're true and they might not have any relevance to the facts in regards to what is happening. But just on a sentimental note, um, you know, Prince brought a lot of talent and uh, compassion and depth and wisdom to the world. And with that, he will be truly missed, just like Marilyn Monroe. So with that said, uh, we actually have to take a quick break. Um, we will be back with the panel. We'll start breaking it down as Gary Vitaka Robles has just uh, uh, wonderfully outlined for us. And we'll get into the seven bullets of the Dr. Cyril Weck interview. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. With me is the panel, Leslie Kasperowitz, Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland. We have best-selling author and Maryland expert Gary Vitaka robles and we are just dissecting the DA report. But more importantly, we are dissecting our uh, interview from Dr. Cyril Weck two weeks ago uh, about the forensic pathology, what is true and what isn't. Let's just start out real quick, though, with the time of death. Um, 
I think that's an important one because we've all thought it was much earlier. Um, and Mary Jane, I'd like you to address this because I went back and talked to Dr. Cyril Weck, just so you know, before um, or after our show, because I just wanted to make sure um, that we were clear on what he was saying because it does change things. And I'd like you to address this. But it, as Gary said at the top of the hour, is that you know, 1.30 is his best guess of the time based on the information that he has and the science that we do know. He says it could be as early as 12.30. He doubts very much it could be uh, midnight. He said that would be pushing it. It could go as far out as 2.30, and it probably would not have been 3 o'clock in the morning. So we have an hour before and an hour after, but his best guess is 1.30 a.m. So with that said, Mary Jane, what are your thoughts, given the fact that you've interviewed him you know, last year and then uh, what he said in terms of time of death uh, this year? Well, I think um, the change in the time of death was, I think maybe when I interviewed him last year, um, I was throwing a lot of information at him. And I was talking about how uh, the rigor mortis and the fixed lividity were noted at 5.30 a.m. And then um, the liver temperature was noted at 10.30 a.m. And I think when I spoke to him the first time, he had maybe taken my number of 5.30 a.m. and counted back from there, which provided the earlier time of death. But in our interview on the radio, he clarified... um, Based on the, to- on the liver temperature being 89 degrees at 10.30 a.m., there's a, a formula that uh, coroners count back from, and it's, it's a certain amount of degrees for each hour. So that was able to give him a more definitive time of death. And if we look at um, the rigor mortis and the fixed lividity, which also factor into the time of death, they both take about six hours to be at the level... Marilyn had when they were noted, which was around 5.30 a.m. So if you count back six hours from 5.30, that's going to put us squarely at 12.30, like Dr. Weck said. Well, he didn't say 12.30. He thinks 1.30 a.m. He said 1.30 a.m. So he's he's saying that 12.30 would be the earliest and 2.30 a.m. would be the latest. But his his when I went back and I asked him specifically, he said he thinks it's closer to 1.30. He might have said not six hours. He said five hours back. So that's probably why it's it's okay. from him. He said five hours back. I just want to clarify that because we, we're throwing out all these numbers to people, right? And we've just got to be as accurate as possible. And obviously, when we come to the, the, the truth conference and the real life investigation with both of these forensic pathologists and especially you uh, three uh, and some of the people that uh, you know are experts even on and off the uh, air um, that know a lot about Marilyn this will be that's why it's so valuable to do this and check and double check so that's really important we have a call from Johnson from Nevada on hold uh, let's take the the question before we get into uh, the death process so um, Johnson you have a call or a question for us? Hello? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, hi. I had read um, that Eunice Murray had mentioned that Marilyn um, could only swallow pills if she had something to drink, such as milk. She actually specifically said um, that she liked to drink milk when she took her pills. Um, so I was wondering about the glass um, by the table, if there was anything um, near her or in her bedroom um, that could kind of indicate that, you know, she would have um, used that to, to swallow pills. 
because um, I had definitely heard there was nothing um, by her bedside. So I was curious if anyone had heard that. Well, that's an interesting question, and I'm not sure if it would show up. I know there, her stomach was pretty empty in the autopsy report. Uh, but, but, Gary, I know you just reread uh, Eunice Murray's book. Would you like to comment on that? Well, we, we know that there was a drinking vessel beside the bed on the floor next to the nightstand. And um, we know that the house had a kitchen and two bathrooms. So Marilyn clearly had access to um, water and a drinking glass. I believe that particular drinking glass is part of a set of tumblers that Marilyn purchased in Mexico, which are owned by a collector in Los Angeles. And the, collection, the collector himself has 11 of the dozen glasses um, with the assumption that perhaps that glass went into police evidence. Yes, that wonderful police evidence that, uh, you know, uh, the, the ability to, uh, to see how much the LAPD still has and uh, what they will uh, actually let us uh, have access to and what they will not. So that's why, again, this real-life conference is going to be uh, really important. But, Gary, um, let's talk a little bit about the death process, and let's get into that a little bit, because I know that he, uh, Dr. Weck had talked a lot about how the, when the heart slows and it starts to beat, beat uh, uh, in a more weak fashion, uh, that's part of the reason why some of the symptoms in the, in the congestion occurred. Yes, Dr. Weck um, clarified to us that, you know, an overdose death is different than uh, an immediate death due to, say, a gunshot wound to the brain. In an overdose, the, the victim loses consciousness and they linger in a coma and the heart continues to beat but then it beats arrhythmically or irregularly, and um, then the blood is no longer able to circulate through the body. So the blood starts to back up, and it causes a congestion of the organs. And so in reading Marilyn's autopsy report, it does report that there's congestions and even hemorrhaging, minor hemorrhaging of the lungs and the stomach and the colon. And um, others have used that to that maybe she did not die by means of an overdose, but in fact, um, it's an indication that she did, in fact. And so she likely, unfortunately and sadly, died a very slow death. Um, And um, we didn't have an opportunity to really talk about the colon with Dr. Weck, but Mary Jane had. And uh, in, in that interview... Um, he clearly said that the combination of both congestion and discoloration of the colon proved that she just didn't die right away. Um, The circulation to the bowel was being compromised and it led to discoloration. So it simply means that there was deprivation of uh, of an oxygen supply to the bowel, and it's a very natural part of the dying process. Well, I think this also brings up a really, really good point in regards to, um, you know, her dying slowly. Um, and I want the panel to comment on this one because it is it just infuriates me. It really does because, you know, we can sit there and say, well, you know, it's a, a vortex of, of, of events, right? Um, but, you know, one of the things that we do know through um, some of the, the raw tapes through Anthony Summers is that Joan Greenson not only says with Anthony Summers, but I think even in her book, not knowingly, right, says – you know, oh, my father knew she was a little woozy when he left 
um, when he left. And when he, and, and when he left, he said, make sure you have, um, t- uh, take a Coke, like a Coca-Cola, and, uh, you know, and not drive yourself, have uh, Eunice drive you to the beach, right? And I think about that, right? You're already having a, a sense of that she's not quite all right, right? That she may be, uh, have taken some type of pills, right? You have Eunice Murray, who is staying there, who is supposed to be looking out for her. And I, and I get, you know, she's kind of passive and she probably isn't a high confrontational person, but that's why she's there. And then you have, uh, you know, Rudin, who calls and says, you know, I'm checking on you, right? She doesn't really check on her. And here we are. We have all this time that if indeed there was nothing malice, this woman dies somewhere between 1230 and 2.30 in the morning. I mean, people, I just, it just frustrates me. Leslie, what do you think about that? Um, absolutely. I mean, the call to Eunice Murray is a really frustrating part of this case um, because she was supposed to be there to keep an eye on Marilyn, obviously. And there was a phone call that came through asking if Marilyn was okay. And my, my best guess as to why she didn't check was that it was only a short time after Marilyn had gone to bed. And I think having just seen her, uh, she just assumed that she was still fine. Um, and with this new time of death, it's hard to say when exactly she ingested the pills. Um, and so it's very possible that she had just taken or, or hadn't even taken them all yet at the time that Milton Rudin called. So had she checked on her, it, it may have changed the course of the evening entirely, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's my point. I mean, if you know that she, and, and, you know, we can have a whole field day on the fact that, you know, Dr. Engelberg and Dr. Um, Dr. Greenson were certainly, certainly not, uh, you know, um, uh, weaning her off her prescriptions with 772, uh, you know, uh, capsules being uh, uh, prescribed between June and and August. And I think Mary Jane, we were talking about that with, uh, you know, the panel. We were talking about that with Dr. Weck, and he was saying that, you know, even if you had 30 and 30, that's 60. Okay, 60, 60 pills she should have been taking. 772 pills. This is not weaning your, yourself off any medication. So the fact that, you know, she's telling her telling her to have a Coke. Now, I, I you know, back in 1962, we all drank Coca-Cola. You know, I know when I had an upset stomach when I was little, uh, you know, my, my mother and my grandmother were certainly giving me Coca-Cola. We know a lot more today um, about, you know, the effects of, of sugar and stuff. But I just, these, these things are just not adding up. And that's, you know, people say, well, gosh, you know, why is this case still being looked at? Well, it's being looked at because it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. And, and so we're trying to make sense of something that doesn't. And so if we can at least start to put some clarity on things like the forensics, this will really, really help. Um, Leslie, before we get into to, um, the injection aspect of it, I, I, we do have another caller, Davey from Texas. Uh, Davey, are you on the air? Hello? Yeah. Oh, I'm hi. Hi, hi Davey. Hi, hi, you guys. I've, I've binge listened to all the past episodes to catch up, and they are remarkable and compelling, and I'm, it makes me ecstatic to hear facts. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Us, too. Us, too. Yeah. So what's your See, question? I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. So, you know, Marilyn, uh, Lee Strasberg once told Marilyn, nervousness indicates sensitivity. Um, so 
I think I'm on a good page. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know what? There's nothing to be nervous here. You're here with the Maryland fans and community, and, uh, you know, we're excited to have you on the air. Yes. Okay. I believe this will be a great question for the audience to hear and for the panel of experts to address because it will help shed more light on um, to understanding the misunderstood Marilyn Monroe. Um, so my question is, um, I know Marilyn was indeed painfully shy, quiet, insecure, and not, you know, and, and getting a chance to pick your expert brains once again, because you guys have answered a few of my questions, actually. <laughs> so what truly was Marilyn so self-conscious and insecure about? Uh, Gary, you want to jump in with that one, and then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get a, a like kind of a uh, answer from uh, all three. But Gary, jump in it, first. It's, it's a great question, and the response would be very lengthy. But I, I would have to say to um, be as brief as possible. I believe it really came down to her um, complex childhood trauma and mm-hmm. um, her childhood experiences, as well as her own mental health symptoms. And that's really summarizing it very briefly, but it's a multi-layered and very complex um, set of circumstances that I think many survivors of trauma out there uh, will relate to, and it should resonate with them. Uh-huh. And Mary Jane, how about you? Um, of course, along the lines of what Gary said, but um, I know a lot of people look at Marilyn and they think, well, look at her. She was beautiful. She was talented. She was successful. Exactly. Like, what is she so insecure about? But when, when you grow up as a child and you're neglected and shuffled around and you feel unwanted and invalidated, that roots itself in your psyche. And you spend the rest of your life always feeling like that unwanted kid that has to prove herself to get people to love her. And I think that really evidenced itself with her. Interesting. And Leslie? Uh, yeah, well, I agree with, with the other two. It goes back to her childhood, and, and self-confidence is something that we now know so much about um, psychology and children and, you know, what helps them build self-confidence so that they're prepared to go out into the world and be confident people. And Marilyn just didn't have that as a child, and I think it just affected the rest of her life. She was always looking for validation and love and and kind of seeing herself reflected in other people and always looking for something that she, unfortunately, I don't think ever quite found. And like I said, that goes back to not having the self-confidence built by a, a solid childhood. Yeah. And, I'd, and I'd also like to add on a very positive note, Davey, uh, mm-hmm. with people that are highly sensitive, usually you'll find highly creative people and highly intuitive people uh, have both that sensitivity. And I think to be as creative as she really was, um, you need that sensitivity. But with uh, any, any blessing comes the opposite sometimes, which is uh, the challenges of being so sensitive, especially to a world that can be uh, a time very cruel. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, and you know what? Thanks to the to all you guys, Leslie, Gary, Mary, and Jane, for your passion and loyalty, and you know, and Nina for your dedication and drive. And by the way, when you got choked up on the radio a few episodes back, it really <laughs> yes. touched me. Um, and also, yeah. I want to include Jennifer because she's the one I've communicated with most of all. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, lastly, I just want to say, let's all just want to be wonderful. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for calling in, and thank you for being also very passionate and dedicated to the truth, too, Davey. Definitely. Thanks, you guys. All right. Well, we are going to actually, we're going to pick up, we're going to take a quick break. As you, as I said, we're probably not going to get to all of it. We're going to have to continue next week, but we are going to keep breaking this down. And Leslie, we're going to start with you with the evidence or lack of in terms of the injection. Uh, a lot of times in this case, you hear, oh, I heard she was injected. I heard she was injected. There was, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, in, in her heart or, you know, something. Somewhere around her body, and we'll find out from uh, Leslie uh, as we recap Dr. Cyril Weck's interview from a few weeks ago, the very renowned forensic pathologist who has spent a lot of time on this case and really does know a lot about Maryland and most of all about forensic pathology. We'll be back in just a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. Voiceamerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarylandLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. We have several questions that we're going to take next week because we're certainly uh, not even halfway through some of these bullet points, and uh, we certainly will take more of your questions uh, next week, not only via email, but also uh, call in. Uh, But if you do want to call in today and you do have a question uh, before the end of the show, we certainly will take it if we can. I'd like to also get to this week's Life Bites. We didn't do one a couple of weeks ago with Cyril Weck or Dr. Weck because it was... uh, 
just, you know, so captivating. I just wanted to stay in that energy. But I do want to bring this one up because it, it is around Marilyn and uh, it's from the book uh, Fragments. And I think it's really important, especially with what we're doing here on the show. This week's Life Bites, Being Aware. Let me take a quote from Marilyn's Fragments. This is what she says. I feel aware of it. Where do I think it comes from? Make an effort to be aware. Like when feeling sick, try to stop the chain reaction before it gets started. If it does start, don't worry. Realize it. Be aware of it. Consciously make an effort. That's from her. So to be aware does take a certain amount of focus. It's easy to blame your situation on someone else. But to become fully aware means to be able to look at all of it, the good, the bad, and the not-so-pretty, without judging it. Because as soon as you start judging it, you start to go into your past, and it gives it meaning. So an exercise for today, if there is something that's troubling you, don't try to change it or push it away. Just become aware of it and allow yourself to just be with it. Awareness and all. That is the first step in looking at any situation in your life. And as Marilyn said, stopping the chain reaction. So with that, let's jump right in. Uh, Leslie, I'd like to talk about that there's no evidence to support uh, the injection theory. What are your thoughts on that? And especially with what uh, Dr. Weck had said. Well, the time of death was hugely important in ruling out the injection. Um, knowing that she took many, many hours to die uh, tells us that it was a slow absorption and that it, an injection which would have killed her very quickly simply wouldn't be possible based on the time of death and based on the numbers that we see for the um, the drugs in her system. The ratio um, from her liver to her blood uh, was quite high in the liver, which means that it took some time. It metabolized. Um, the drugs were passing through her system um, slowly, and that tells us that it was an oral in, um, injection, rather, um, ingestion, and not an injection. Um, because as Dr. Weck had said, an injection would have killed her within a matter of minutes. It would have gone very quickly through her, and we wouldn't have seen as much metabolizing of the drugs into Marilyn's liver. So I, I think that we've really clearly ruled out an injection with this time of death. Well, I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, uh, these are some of the things that it's really important because, you know, even if it were, um, and we're going to get into that, uh, and I want to open this up in ter- terms of the panel, you know, and next week we'll, we'll play the clip, but, uh, you know, that there, uh, I asked the question about a suppository or a bulb enema because, uh, you know, as as and we're getting into some some uh, you know physical stuff, and I'll probably try to say it as is is as general as possible. But with the enema, you know that that theory, and we've already ruled that out with the washer and dryer stuff. That you know um, there would have been a mess, and there would have also been you know they had to clean that up right for a full on enema if somebody was doing that at that at that time. But then the question was asked, well. Um, what about a suppository and or like a bulb enema, something that would have been really, really small? Uh, Mary Jane, you want to jump in with that? Um, yeah. Well, the issue with a bulb enema that would have been significantly smaller would be that it would have to, you couldn't fit the amount of drugs in it that were found in her system. It would have to be reapplied and reapplied and reapplied. It would be messy. 
Um, and it's just not a really plausible explanation, uh, particularly when we have so much evidence that points directly to oral ingestion. Okay, and how about you, Gary? Well, the content of the bowel argues um, uh, against it, and, and there were no findings of suppository residue. And I think many of the proponents of this theory um, believe that it was somehow administered by a third party. So, you know, in order to uh, have that actually work, the victim would have to be conscious and cooperative to hold the material. So um, it doesn't... It doesn't quite make sense since there was such an uh, access to um, oral meds that even could have been broken up from capsules and dissolved in water. And Leslie? Okay, and Leslie? Yeah, um, the suppository question was um, addressed a little bit in the DA report as well, and um, they had stated that it would take a number of suppositories, and also that to find Nambutal suppositories in 1962 wouldn't have been a simple matter. It's not something they would have carried at the pharmacy down the street, so someone would have had to really go out of their way to obtain those. Well, and and it goes to, uh, you know, and and, and it's kind of interesting because it it plays into a theory that is certainly out there um, that that's that's where the mob comes in, right? And that's not generally a mob, uh, you know, way of, 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 you know, doing away with somebody, right? But because they wanted to, quote, make it look like an accident, they used a suppository um, or an injection, et cetera. But the reality of that happening based on the forensics, you're hearing this not only from the panel, and we're going to play some of the clips again from uh, for next week's show, just the little sound bites. Um, you'll hear that, you know, it's a slow death. And whenever you have an injection or something that is much more immediate, you know, it's it's not going to be a slow death. It's going to happen. You know, they're not going to sit there for four hours, you know, um, trying to uh, get her to pass. It's especially not the mob. I mean, that and that, you know, I'm not talking fact here. I'm just talking just in terms of what we know about the mob today. Um, uh, Gary, you want to talk about that in terms um, of about, that, about- that theory? Of the mob? You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, being able to, given what we know, you know, well, that's probably... Well, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense, and it, 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 would, it would involve somehow Marilyn either cooperating with it or being forced into it, and it, it just doesn't sound like it could be administered if she were already unconscious or if she wasn't complying. Um, there's just not much evidence to support it, especially forensically, but, you know, it does well, sell a lot of books. Well, and that's the reason why I wanted to bring it up, and we'll probably be talking about it in other shows and addressing it. You know, today we're dealing with the forensics, but I keep getting, you know, emails about the mob, about the mob, and now with the timeline change, um, it opens up that question of who was there, was anybody there um, besides uh, Eunice Murray. So let's uh, let's continue and see where we're at. Uh, Mary Jane, you know, as, as we know, this is the ever-popular argument that there was the lack of pill residue even in the crystallized form in her stomach. Can you address that? Sure. Um, Dr. Wecht and the DA report both address this issue, um, and it, it's not at all unusual for there not to be residue in the stomach, especially in a habitual user. Their body actually gets used to the drugs, and they metabolize them quicker. And then you also factor in that she had an empty stomach, which, again, makes the digestive process much faster, so they were just absorbed quickly. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a matter of um, lay people looking at 
at the autopsy report and the toxicology report, but then when you get the actual medical and forensic experts looking at it, they say, no, this isn't anything unusual. And Dr. Wecht said under um, most overdose cases he sees, he doesn't see residue in the stomach. Well, and then here's the other thing, is that you've had multiple, not just one, multiple uh, television documentaries and specials over the years that start to question, well, why wasn't there crystallized, you know, some cr- crystallization in the stomach? And, uh, you know, even Dr. Noguchi to some degree, you know, you know, even said, well, could there be? There could be, but you heard it from Dr. Weck. We'll certainly hear it from Dr. Michael Baden. Um, you know, the realities of there not being any crystallization in her stomach is not that unusual. At all. So I think we have to look at what the evidence says versus what we think. Because here's the thing, is we all think that there's something not right about this. But the challenge comes is at least let's point to the things that we do know would be common. Let's, let's you know, after we get through some of this, let's focus on the things that um, are really starting to, to build some questions here of what doesn't make sense. So with that said, uh, Leslie, you know, uh, <laughs> this is a big one near and dear to my heart, the probable suicide finding. Uh, let's talk about that and what he had to say about that. And I'm going to play that clip again because this is really uh, key, not only to this investigation, Investigation, but also to the petition on goodnightmaryland.com uh, in regards to the probable suicide finding. Yeah, well, Dr. Wecht was very, very clear on his thoughts on that um, on the show <laughs> and stated that he's never seen probable suicide listed and also that in any case uh, where you have more than one drug involved in an overdose fatality that usually it would be ruled as accidental. Um, he stated very clearly that there was no solid evidence of a suicide in this case, being that there was no suicide note, which even though that's not unusual, um, they didn't have solid proof that it was a suicide, and he clearly and strongly believes that it should never have been um, gone down as a suicide, and certainly not as a probable suicide, um, because there are only four choices, you know, he had stated, uh, for what you're going to write on that report, and none of them is probable suicide. Well, and I think that's the, the the issue here, and also what he, if I remember correctly, what he was also talking about is the fact that, you know, we don't really know. We're sitting here, we're making, well, this could have happened, This she could have been thinking this, she could have been thinking that. The reality is, is we don't know. So that's really what it should be. We don't know. Not even accidental. It's undetermined at this point, or accidental. But to say that she actively committed suicide at this point it would be a theory. Uh, Gary, your thoughts on this? Well, um, I, I come back to the point of prescriber culpability. Um, I, I, I believe that Marilyn was a high risk for suicide, but that her prescriber provided her the means for a, a lethal overdose. And they knew that Marilyn had many risk factors, so they, they handed her a loaded gun. I believe, you know, Greenson was concerned about her. He was concerned that she had already maybe taken uh, an amount of sedatives, but yet he left her with a full supply of the meds. I mean, nowadays what we do in mental health is we engage in safety planning, and he had a member of Maryland's support system present on the scene, Eunice Murray, 
who could have been um, brought into a safety plan to monitor, to remove the medications. Today, suicide prevention isn't so much about the why, but about reducing the means for a lethal attempt. And here they did, I believe, the direct polar opposite. And I think the smoking gun is the prescriptions that we have from Dr. Engelberg. Not only did, I think the July 10th prescription that has an enormous amount of barbiturates, multiple barbiturates, all prescribed at the same time, and if you combine that on July 10th with the chloral hydrate and the Nembitol that was prescribed in late July and early August, I think you have prescriber culpability. She was failed by the providers in her life. And, you know, in talking a little bit about the laws of what we know now, um, let's talk about that because it's updated now with what's happened with some famous cases over the last, you know, five to ten years. Well, definitely. I mean, we saw what happened with Conrad Murray and we saw what happened to this uh, other doctor, Lisa Sang, who her practice was described as a pill mill. I would, I would have to say the same thing about Dr. Engelberg. Um, when I see the amount of medications he prescribed to her. That, that one July 10th prescription, is, to me, is just so significant. He gives her 25 Seconol, 25 Tuanol, 50 Valmid, and 100 Libri- Librium. And the first three are directed, one for sleep, and the Librium as directed. So he intended for her to be taking at least those th- uh, three medications at the same is- time. And as we and we're going to have to close this week's show, but as you know, uh, taking all of those those pills, as Dr. Cyril Weck said, is r- beyond ridiculous. Um, and so, as a physician, he should have known better. And we'll get into Greenson too, because he was certainly aware of what she was taking. So, uh, with that said, I'd like to have some closing thoughts. We'll pick up where we left off, and we'll continue and recap and finish recapping this week's conversation. We'll get into what that means to some of the other theories next week. Leslie Kasperowitz, your last uh, few uh, few words. Uh, I guess my, my final thought on recapping yep. today is just that the time of death has really put into clear perspective that this was an oral ingestion of medication. And Gary? Clearly an overdose and clearly um, contributed to by the physicians on the scene. And Mary Jane? Uh, I agree with Leslie and Gary, and um, one thing I wanted to add is I noticed we did say a lot in this show that uh, Marilyn's death was a slow process, and I imagine thinking about that can be very upsetting to our listeners and fans of hers, so I just wanted to say that in this type of death, even though it was a slow process, she would have fallen asleep. She wouldn't have have been in pain. Um, it, It just everything would have slowed down until she passed away. All right. We have to close this week's show. That's a very uh, good uh, uh, good way to end, uh, you know, with the Maryland fans and keeping that in mind because that is really, really important when we're talking about some of the specifics, and that, which is not always easy, not only Maryland's death, but anybody's death. So this is going to uh, end this week's show. We'll be back next Friday, 10 a.m., and we'll continue the conversation with Season 3. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky, the panel, Gary uh, Vitaco-Robles, Mary Jane Gray, and Leslie Kasperowitz for Goodnight Maryland Radio. Remember, never stop dreaming.
Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.